0: Hello and welcome to the In Publishing Podcast. Our guest this week is Mark Allen, chairman and proprietor of family run publishing company, the Mark Allen Group, whose brands cover healthcare, business, engineering, music, and leisure. We would like to thank our podcast sponsor, Acorn Web Offset, the Yorkshire based specialist A5 and A4 magazine printer. With high-speed web-offset and sheet-fed printing, together with in-house saddle stitching, perfect binding and mailing services, Acorn can cope with the most demanding of production turnarounds. Acorn prides itself on its efficiency and low-cost print production. For more information, visit acornweb.co.uk. Mark Allen is the chairman of Mark Allen Publishing, a highly successful family run company that publishes 75 titles spanning healthcare, education, business, manufacturing and engineering, music and leisure. Mark, welcome to the In Publishing podcast.
1: Thank you very much indeed, Keir. Delighted to be on your show.
0: So, How would you characterise the Mark Allen group? I've just given a taste there of the many different areas um, in which you publish. Um, But if if you could sort of sum up the group, how how would you do that?
1: Well, uh, Kira, I think there are four words that uh, sum up um, my group. Uh, Three of them begin with the letter S and one with D. But the three um, words that I would use, first of all, are Substance, um, success, and significance. And if I take them in order, substance, uh, we have, in fact, not uh, 100 magazines, not 75, um, 100 magazines in 12 different sectors. And in a normal non-COVID-19 year, we would organize around 250 exhibitions, awards, and events. So I think we can tick that box. Uh, Success, we have a turnover of more than 50 million pounds. Our profits are well above the industry average. And we have been listed on several times on the Sunday Times Fast Track as one of the fastest growing companies uh, in the country. And significance, um, we are a family company Uh, with a can-do participatory culture. Personally, I'm not particularly interested in people's qualifications. Um, I'm above all interested in what they can do, whether they have the right drive and the determination to do well. So in my company, there is little bureaucracy. I think we are very flexible as an organization. Uh, We can make decisions very quickly, and we don't have a stultifying corporate ethos. And I think all these factors make us, and this is the D word, distinctive. Um, I believe, I'd like to believe anyway, that we are different from most other publishing and media companies. And I believe that these are the reasons why I've become possibly the most successful family-based company to have emerged in the last uh, 40 years.
0: So when the pandemic struck I understand that you wrote three different budget plans um, which perhaps feeds into what you've just been talking about about being able to react quickly. Can you talk us through the thinking and how your company has coped during this period?
1: Yes yeah, so a very, very good question Keir. Uh Way back in March The world looked extremely gloomy and dark and uh, on the brink of collapse uh, as the pandemic uh, started to bite. And it was very hard to get any clarity about how the future would pan out. So we decided to write um, three different budget scenarios, what I call the good, the bad um, and the ugly. The most um, alarming issue facing us, as indeed a lot of other companies, was um, events. Um, We've had to cancel a vast number of events. Indeed, we've not been able to run a single live event since March. And so that factor alone created a a black hole in our accounts. And um, as a result, our cash position looked um, really problematic and On the um, worst-case scenario, it seemed that we would start running out of cash in the autumn. However, despite not being able to hold any live events since March, the company has coped incredibly well. Indeed, um, after six months, we are 3.1 million better on our EBITDA profitability than our best-case budget scenario, scenario and ironically um, we have more cash in the till than in all the 35 preceding years that the company has been in existence however i want don't want to sound at all complacent because there are some huge caveats uh, the job um, creation scheme comes to an end at the end of this month and um so there's a lot a lot, lot of lack of clarity lack of clarity about what's going to be happening into events and um, we were actually hoping to to kick some events in the last quarter of this year but live events but that's not going to happen so and we also have some obligations to meet so we need to hang on to every penny of the cash which we have accumulated um, since March. So, um, although we've done you know, very well so far, we're certainly not out of the woods.
0: Well, I'll come back to events a bit later, but um, looking at the positives, while some publishers have struggled, Mark Allen Group um, has, as you say, done rather well. Can you give some of the reasons from, for that? And from your experience, what advice and insights would you give to fellow publishers looking to get through this time?
1: Well, Kier, I think there are three main reasons why we've been performing better than the majority of uh, publishing and uh, events companies. Uh, Firstly, we have a very uh, diverse portfolio. Um, As I said before, we're in 12 different market sectors. In the past, I think we've been sometimes been accused of having too many fingers in too many pies. But. I believe it's the range of our portfolio and the different revenue streams that we have created that have been incredibly helpful for us uh, at this time. Secondly, uh, the acquisition of Farmers Weekly, which we completed at the end of last year, has proved a very fortunate masterstroke uh, because Farmers Weekly is a wonderful business, one of the most iconic brands in publishing. It's by far and away our most uh, profitable brand, and it's been barely affected by the pandemic. And thirdly, right. and thirdly, the third reason is that um, we have got a superb and focused team, you know, led by my son Ben Allen as the chief um, executive officer, and how the senior management um, have. Uh, performed indeed, the whole of our team as how they performed has been absolutely extraordinary. They've demonstrated incredible kind of creativity and ingenuity, and I think that can-do sp- spirit um, has been you know very very prevalent. So you actually asked me what advice I'd give to other um, publishers. Well, the the main advice is cash cash is king and you need to safeguard cash with your life you need to be but you also need to be very positive and creative Um, and i think you need to very carefully kind of watch all your expenditure when markets are uh, against you there is only so much you can do you can't really kind of counteract the market trends you can be very creative Um, But as I say, you can't buck the markets, but you can do an awful lot to cut costs without, and this is the uh, crucial factor, without uh, downgrading on quality. And that is what I think we've done with a great deal of success.
0: Very, very interesting. Now, um, despite having lots of other things on your plate, during lockdown, you also found time to write a novel. Um, Can you tell us, how that came about and what the novel is about and what inspired you to write it?
1: Well, thanks for the question. Um, The story has been a long time in gestation and I first uh, started writing it um, five, six years ago and I took myself off to France, took um, week breaks to write it and um, it's a novel, it's, you know, heavy on fiction but um, it's one in which it follows, um, to some extent, the trajectory of my own life. And um, some of the book has been both cathartic and also painful. Um, so when I first wrote the book in France many years ago, I didn't actually write it as necessary uh, for publication. I wrote it because I wanted to tell this own story that I had been bubbling up in my brain for for many years and um, based on to some extent on my own knowledge and experience although it's a, a totally a work of fiction but as a journalist I also wanted to prove to myself that I could have the stamina uh, and the skill to sustain the writing of a book of more than a hundred thousand words I've written uh, many articles as a journalist but nothing of very much more than about 1500 words so you know that was uh the uh, the requirement for me i wanted to see whether i could write a uh, write a novel when i finished writing the book i showed it to one or two kind of literary friends and they were impressed with it and they persuaded me that i should try to publish it and around less than two years ago um I wasn't going to publish it myself uh, because although, you know, we have a book publishing operation and I have published um, a couple of novels, it's not a vanity operation. If I was going to have it published, and as I say, my prime reason was to prove to myself that I could write a novel. But if I was going to have it published, I wanted it to have authentication from a third party. So less than two years ago, I showed it to my um, current publisher, um, a really remarkable person called Dr. Anthony Hurst, a former academic um, who a few years ago started his own um, publishing company called Cadenzo Books. And I showed it to him and um, he really liked the book, but he suggested very wisely, as as it turns out, that the book needed to be written uh, in the first person rather than the third person as I'd originally written it. And instead of dipping in and out of time as I had done, um, he suggested the story had to be told chronologically. And it was remarkably good advice. But at the time I was very, very busy, you know, helping to run the company. And I, th- I thought I can't really have, I don't have the energy or the time to do it. So, uh, once again, I just put the book into deep storage. And then earlier on this year, in about April this year, uh, during lockdown I've always written quite a lot of poetry and I wrote a poem about lockdown which I I sent to Anthony um you know my publisher and um he liked the poem and he's going to publish that in a kind of a anthology of poems I think next year but at that stage she said well what's happened to your book you know you really should write the rewrite the book and I thought well if I I'm going to rewrite it. I'm in lockdown. I have one perhaps um, golden opportunity of rewriting it and that was now. So I decided to take the plunge.
0: And how did you manage to fit in the writing while still running your business? And did it have any impact on your business? I mean, did it in some ways give you some extra enthusiasm?
1: Very good question. It was, you know, really very difficult to rewrite the book um, because it wasn't just a matter of changing the tenses from he to I and um, the book had been written had been dipping in and out of time so I had to kind of piece it all together um, it was like a jigsaw um, and it was far more complicated than I ever thought it was going to be and um, so it, it necessitated a great deal of new writing and I think I wrote another um, 800, 8,000 words. So the book is now about 102,000 words long, Um, you know, an 800,000, uh, 8,000 additional words. And uh, I was determined it wasn't going to interfere in the um, running of the company, which is absolutely crucial at that particular stage. So I was getting up most days at three o'clock. I was writing from three o'clock till eight o'clock. And then later on the day, um, I was going back to the book in the late afternoon of the evening. And I was determined, no, and I don't think, apart from my wife, I don't think anyone knew that I was rewriting this book. And um, I was determined, as I said, that it was not going to kind of um, interfere with the running of the company. And I don't think it did. In fact, I think that it helped to keep stress levels at bay. I was incredibly preoccupied every minute of the day and it was as you will know um kia as a as an author yourself um it's it is like living with an obsession i mean during the day i wasn't very communicative um i was communicative when i was on zoom calls to all my colleagues at work Uh, but then the rest of the day i was just living the company and living my book and i could barely speak to my wife uh, for a, a couple of months and um uh, but it is, as I say, it is rather like kind of living with an obsession. But anyway, I've got that out of the, the way the book is now being edited. Uh, so I've got a, a little bit more time for relaxation and peace.
0: And I believe that you came up with quite an interesting way of choosing a title for the book. Can you tell us about that?
1: Choosing um, a title was you know, far more complicated than I ever thought, um, the original title of the book was Let Me Down Gently, but my publisher, um, he didn't like that title. And so he was quite keen. In, in the pro, pro, prologue of the book, the um, protagonist, the uh, narrator, you know, Simon Roberts, he makes reference to you know, a famous quote by Gloucester in King Lear, um, as flies to wanton boys are we to the gods, they kill us for their sport. And Anthony was quite keen on the title of the book being As Slice to Wanton Boys. But uh, that was, you know, too close to comfort, really, because the book, which is a psychological thriller triggered by the sexual abuse of a six-year-old boy. So it's a rather dark story. It was far too near to the mark. So we decided against that. And then we considered, I think, something like 80 different titles. Many of the titles had already been used before, but there's no copyright law on book titles. But we did want to try and choose a title which had some kind of originality. And after a lot of discussion and debate going backwards and forwards, we uh, brought up, we, we had a short list of five Uh, titles and then we sent these um, five titles out to 100 different people 50 people in my company which I chose at random and another 50 people uh, people that I knew family or friends and we actually asked them to score how they uh, reviewed the five uh, different titles and um, the title life term which is the title we've decided on for the book, emerged as a clear favourite. And as this was the title that both my publisher, Anthony um, Hearst and I preferred, this is the title that we're going to go with.
0: And and it's a great title. Um and and, uh, and having read the first few chapters, um, I, I would recommend people um, go go and get a copy when it becomes available, um, which I think is next March. Is that right?
1: It's coming out next March. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. Well, back to um, your your day job, um, we we touched on live events, which have been um, a growing part of your business over the last few years, as you said, and have been severely impacted by COVID. Um, and you haven't been able to hold them, as you said. So, so what have you been doing with events and how do you see the future for them now?
1: Well, I think it's possibly worth um, noting here that there's been an incredible change around in the fortunes of um, events and and publishing to some extent. Um, a year or so ago, if you can go back to that you know, distant past, um, which seems um, very much like an illusion um, at the moment, you know, events were all the rage, and publishing, particularly you know print publishing, was considered um, you know positively antediluvian. Um, But in our case, it's good old fashioned print magazines, as well as, you know, some of our online offerings, which have come to the rescue of of my company. Um, And I think the pandemic has demonstrated that virtual events can be successful and they can be profitable. I don't think they will ever quite replace live events. I think uh, human beings are sociable people and trade events have been live trade events have been proved to be a very good shop window for uh, the buying and selling of goods and um, services there'll be in my view a recovery in life events but it's going to be very u-shaped and very gradual and to answer your question um, we're living in very confusing times there is a distinct lack of clarity about the live events and this is really um, the business of government and what the government needs to do is to provide eventum organizers with much more clarity about li- when live events can be opened up again and until that happens we're all living in a complete and utter kind of muddle because there's no certainty no clarity no confidence about what we can do in the future so in the meantime, as far as we're concerned, and I suggest a lot of other events companies, we are focusing very much on terms of a virtual and content-led events and awards. And, you know, a lot of those events and awards are being really, really successful. Again, if I can just give you one example, last week we staged um, the Gramophone Awards. I mean, Gramophone is um, an iconic um, uh, Global brand um, for classical music um, launched in 1923, which we're very um, fortunate to have in our company. Last week we uh, uh, we um, staged um, a virtual awards ceremony. Normally it's a live event, and to all the glitterati in the kind of the classical music um, uh, field, it was filmed um, at Glyndebourne. And it was a massive success um it was it was's been viewed in the week that um, we've held the event and It's not too too late to kind of view it now, but it's been viewed throughout the world by three hundred and seventeen thousand people and uh, that event in itself has made us more money than any other kind of of our live events so that's just one of, oh, of one example
0: so I mean, do you think that the the way that you've had to make this very rapid shift to virtual events will um, affect how you plan live events in the future?
1: Uh, Yes, I think to a large extent it has. I think that's what's happened in the last uh, few months is that we've developed considerable confidence, um, expertise, and experience in running um, smaller. Virtual events, and that kind of experience is going to kind of um, carry on into the future and um, depressingly, I believe that you know even if the, there is a vaccine for this pandemic, um, I think the pandemic is probably going to be around in some shape or form, certainly for the rest of my life and I think we 've just got to get used to the fact that we 're going to be living with um, this pandemic this virus for for sometime to come and so i think we've we've got to focus on what we can do and in our case it will be holding um, a lot of smaller content-led events live events which we will juxtapose with doing you know virtual and, and participatory kind of offerings you know in my view some of the massive global exhibitions may have to go or they may go i hope not but I think if the reality is, if if companies are not um, keen to travel, I think it's going to be hard for them to kind of recreate themselves, certainly in the immediate future. But I certainly believe there is a big market in content-led, smaller exhibitions and awards. And I don't think that anyone has yet found the the right solution. I, f- I firmly believe that there will be a creative alternative which will incorporate the best of live events with the the best of virtual events and something will emerge as a winner. I think we're we're almost there, but we're not quite there yet.
0: Well, another area that you um, have had great success with uh, and that you mentioned is the diversity of your portfolio. And that is partly because of your great success with acquiring titles. Um, You've talked about Farmers Weekly. What are the do's and don'ts publishers should be aware of when bedding in a newly acquired title?
1: Uh, Well, first, if you don't mind me um, going back a few years and saying that 10 years ago 12 years ago um you know we were a company we were hardly kind of um putting our face above the radar but at that stage we were identified as a, a healthcare company and uh, many people thought that we should remain uh, a healthcare company you know that was the, the prevailing kind of orthodoxy of the time was um just focus on what you know and don't go outside those tram lines. And I thought that, uh, that was sort of, you know, wrong because if we were just, um, focused on, um, healthcare, um, we would be waiting for Godot for kind of healthcare kind of opportunities to arise. So I decided to kind of remove those shackles and to focus on really being opportunist, uh, about what we could, uh, w- what we could acquire in any single kind of market. You know, what I firmly believe is that. We're in a relatively small kind of market. Our expertise is in publishing, and those skills, whether you're working in whatever form of um, of publishing, whether that's consumer publishing or business business marketing, whatever sector you're, you're working in, many of those skills are transferable. It's not as if you're going in from going in from publishing to farming or becoming a rocket scientist. So, you know, the skills that we all acquire in publishing our transferable skills so you know what we decided to do was to be very kind of open-ended about what we um were looking for we wanted to go for opportunities and where we felt we there were um uh, there were magazines or brands which we could have af- we, we could acquire at affordable prices where we could offer value um, then we decided to go for it whatever whatever markets they were in and I believe that's been very kind of um, significant. Um, you know, when we're acquiring titles, in my view, what I always look for, I I look um, for content. Content always is the most important thing in my book. You know, whether uh, a magazine has the right content or whether we can, um, um, whether we can improve the content. And as I say, we don't look to making kind of cheap options at every single stage. We try to improve and expand on the content and um, what is very important i think is to empower all the staff are transferring we've been acquiring a lot of um, magazines brands from larger companies and to some extent those magazines have been in the kind of departure lounges of these you know bigger companies they've been siloed off and you know, when we have taken them on, you know, sometimes the staff are a bit demoralised because they knew they were going to be sold. So the first thing we have to do is reassure the staff, to try and empower them, uh, to trust them, um, to take an interest in what they're all about. Uh, we try in we in normally we actually ask all our teams when we are acquiring a magazine or a brand. We, are, we go through a similar kind of format. We get them all to write a mission statement because often what we find is some of the editorial staff and the sales staff are not always on the same um, platform. But above everything else, these are very simple mission statements and they don't really necessarily mean all that much, but what they do is they give ownership to the teams. And we follow that up by going for um, away days. And we get the teams to present. Uh, we actually divide them all up into small groups. But they're not just talking shops. We, At the end of the day, we come up with a definite um, action plan. And we follow up that action plan by making certain that all the action points are followed up. Another thing I think about acquiring something is that it's very important if you're acquiring a magazine or a brand, you have a very distinct plan. And we tend to do things very quickly um, because the longer you leave it, the harder it is to develop that plan. Because sometimes the longer you leave it, the, the, the more resistance you are um, likely to have. So it's best to, in my view, to strike while the yarn is hot and to go for it.
0: And. Most of your titles, is it fair to say, are B2B titles with some B2C uh, titles in the portfolio. Um, how do you see the revenue mix for B2B publishers evolving over the next few years? And will subscriptions play an increasing role?
1: Yeah, a very good question, Keir. Um Again, as I think I've said before, the um, pandemic has highlighted the fact that, in my view, and I'm a keen advocate of it, Print publishing is far from dead, and um, if anything, the virus has reinforced the importance of print as well as digital publishing. Of course, you know we've got to move into all of us have moved into digital publishing. so it's a mixture of both print and digital publishing as well as um, events which is going to be you know a, a crucial part of of our kind of portfolio. Um, Your know, subscriptions are a very big part of what we do. Some of our leading brands, Gramophone, Farmers Weekly, Dental Update and Community Care. Community Care is a an a online only brand. Um, they've all been seen, they've all been very kind of buoyant in terms of their um, subscriptions. And um, subscriptions in our company account for 26% of all our revenues. And this revenue stream will um, continue to um go up um you know uh, advertising is a rather debased word with a lot of people i'm a strong believer that uh advertising particularly in, in niche markets and um, particularly advertising where there are creative marketing solutions has still got a major part to play in in future so we shouldn't um write that off but you know subscriptions has always been a key part since i ever started up the um the company in 1985 i converted one title one of the two titles that i um bought in um in a management buyout in 1985 i converted that from a free magazine into a subscription only title so subscriptions and paid for content is always something um that um, i've always um believed in I think as publishers, uh, we've got to do um, a much better job in selling the real value of content-led, subscription-orientated magazines. I mean, you know, it always is extraordinary to me if you think of all the work that goes into producing a, a magazine, whether that's digital or, or in print, but all the magazine, if you take, a, say, a print magazine, all the writing, the commissioning, the editing, the printing, the marketing, the distribution, and that's just in one single issue. So every single article is different in a magazine, and then you consider uh, a B to D magazine that contributes so much to an individual or a company's growth, their profitability, and we vastly underprice magazines. Now, one analogy I always kick. Uh, um, Uh, I'm keen to go. I love going into restaurants and having a meal. If I go into a restaurant um, with another colleague or my wife, whoever it is, you know, and have a nice bottle of wine, a meal for two will cost uh, not less than a hundred pounds, probably sometimes a great deal more than that. The meal will last you two hours. It might not always be a very good uh, meal. And the meal is uh, last two hours and you forget about it. A magazine, you have, um, you know, all the different complexity of a magazine. And you have that 10, 12, 24 issues a year, whatever it is, all the different ideas that you have. of it. And we sell magazines, £100, £120, £120, the cost of a meal which lasts um, two hours. It doesn't make sense to me. But, you know, we all need to actually try and sell why magazines, whether they are print magazines or online versions why they are so important particularly um, in this in this age when the pandemic has has actually flattened all our lives you know and you know provoked a great to provoked a great deal of anxiety why magazines are so tremendously important for us and we've got to do a much better, better job all of us in trying to promote their value
0: that, that's a really good point. Um, and it might be a difficult question to answer at the moment because we are still in, in the middle of everything. But what do you see as the main challenges and opportunities facing the B2B sector at the moment?
1: Well, I think the biggest challenge is to stay vibrant and alive in a really highly um, changing and competitive world where Good and honest journalism, the type of journalism which I was um, led to believe was important, is greatly under attack. You know, with fake news and all that that involves. Everyone these days believes that they can be a journalist or a publisher. So we're facing all kind of um, these threats coming at all all um, directions. But, you know, I believe that if you have got a good um, market leading brand and we're lucky to have some really good sort of strong market leading brands, there are many ways in which you can leverage your offering. You know, whether going into conferences, awards, training, training is an area that certainly I think we should, my company should um, concentrate even more on and uh, and trying to get the content um, uh, right. So I think there's a great future still for us in in publishing. It's under attack. It's not an easy business to be in. But uh, to paraphrase, I think it was Mark Twain. Um, I think we should be singing from the rasters and the the reports of our deaths are greatly exaggerated. Um, I think the next year or so are going to be very, very tough for all of us in the media. There's going to be an absolutely... Um, unemployment bloodbath I have got nothing but total kind of empathy and concern for a number of journalists and people in publishing uh, who are going to lose jobs and who are going to find it very very hard to um, find an alternative work my heart really does uh, go out to all of them and a number of small publishing companies are going to um, go to the wall. But I, I, publishing has got a, is a very dynamic industry. And uh, there is a lot of very inventive and dynamic people that um, are attracted to our industry. And so there will be new uh, magazines which will arrive, new ways of doing business, and a new way of connecting with our customers. So I think that although... There's going to be one or two very very tough years in publishing i believe that if you have still got the confidence and you've got the resolve and you look after your staff and that's a crucial factor try to look after the staff you have i believe you can still be successful and can still be profitable
0: and what about your own company mark allen group you've grown rapidly over the last 10 years What are your future growth plans? Do you think that will be achieved organically or do you have any further acquisitions in mind?
1: Well, I think as far as uh, my company is concerned, we're only halfway up the mountain. We've got a very long way to go. I think um, we're always restless. We're very ambitious to do even better. You know, when I set up the, the company in 1985, I always knew it's never going to be a sprint race. It wasn't for me to to set up the company, to sell it off in a couple, a couple of years and then to move on to something else. I wanted to develop a company that I could be proud of and our, our teams could be proud of. Um, so we've over the last uh, 10 years or so, we've focused mainly on acquisitions. I think we've acquired something like 26 um Um, magazines, brands, and the companies in the last um, 10 years or so. Um, I think in the next year or so, uh, we won't be acquiring very much. Um, We will be focusing much more on organic growth, but we will return to acquisitions again. Uh, We need to bed down a little bit. We've got one or two kind of new um, possible launches in the pipeline. So I think next year that we will be launching a number of different uh, business, business magazines. So we're going to go back to launching again. We still believe there is a lot of mileage in, in launching, you know, both print and online magazines. And, um, we will, you know, focus on, 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 on uh, organic growth in the next year or so. Um, you know, we're very ambitious for the company, as I said, you know, our turnover, um, this year, um, the, uh, 19 up to 19, 2020 has been 50 million. We want to grow the company in the next five years to around um, 85 million. It's not just about growth. It's about making certain that we deliver a great service to all our customers, both in traditional um, publishing, on online, and innovative ways of trying to capture our market. And as I must repeat, We've got a really amazing team that works in my company. We need to ensure that they're they're properly looked after.
0: So finally, outside of work, what do you do to relax? Are there any plans for a follow-up novel, for example?
1: Relax. Very good question. (laughs) Um, uh, Well, I I, I like reading. Um, I'm a great walker. I go for a walk um, most days. I cycle a little bit. Um, I play the saxophone the tenor saxophone i 'm a big jazz fan playing the jet tax, uh, the saxophone I do that very very badly um i 've got a family with four children and seven grandchildren so my family my grandchildren children they 're very important to me so I would like to believe that outside work I have got a hinterland and um you know lots of interests and um i 'm you know, always kind of thinking of new things to do. And I think I've got other books on the horizon. Once I've got this book um, out of the way, I will be focusing on trying to write something else. I've got a, I'd like to write a book of poetry. I've got poems that I'd like to publish. And and, and probably I've got another idea for a novel. So perhaps a less gloomy one. Um, so I, I tend to kind of spend uh, my twilight years trying to do one or two other creative things if I can.
0: Mark Allen, thank you very much for being our guest on the In Publishing podcast.
1: Thank you very much, Shindikia. Really enjoyed it.
0: A big thank you again to Acorn Web Offset for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for a new magazine printer, then check out their website at acornweb.co.uk or contact Matt Carey on 07714 299 105 or by email at matthew.carry at acornweb.co.uk. Thank you to Mark for being our guest this week. You can find out more about Mark Allen Group at markallengroup.com. Mark's novel, Lifetime Term, will be published in the spring by Colenso Books. There is a 20% discount on pre-orders received before the 15th of March. For more information, please email customercare at markallengroup.com. Thank you for listening and please join me next week on the In Publishing Podcast.